This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast is brought to you in part by Flatiron School is focused on increasing awareness to coding education for women. They're pleased to offer Black Girl Nerds listeners free access to their online boot camp prep course, plus $500 off your first month's tuition towards their online web developer program. Visit flatironschoolnerds.com. That's flatironschoolnerds.com to start your free course and take advantage of this discount. With a proven curriculum alongside a community of students finding purpose through programming, you can learn to code online, but not alone. Flatiron offers a job guarantee and comprehensive career coaching. Over 98% of grads accept job offers within 180 days of graduating. So visit flatironschoolnerds.com. Learn. Love. Code. Confabulation is a new convention from the people who brought you 10 great years of WinCon. We're by the fans and for the fans, so there's no celebrity guests or long autograph lines. Just fan-run content about the things you want to talk about. Join us in Pittsburgh, May 25th through 28th, for a weekend of friends and fandom. Get more info at confabcon.com or our Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook pages at confabcon. Hope to see you in Pittsburgh. This is Ava DuVernay, creator of Queen Sugar on OWN, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Valosa Thompson, and I am the creator of the Disability 2Y hashtag and the founder of Rap Your Voice. You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, my name is Divine Joy Randolph, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, my name is Natalie McGriff, creator of the Adventures of Moxie McGriff comics, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is Morris Chestnut, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Emiyasi Coronaldi, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, what's going on? It's Soraya from Empire, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Jada Pinkett Smith, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yo, what's up? This is Shale Hadari Coker, the showrunner and creator and executive producer of Marvel's Luke Cage. You're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 104 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Vice Principals and Feeding Hannibal. Two segments. In our first segment, we invite Kimberly Abair Gregory. She talks about her role on Vice Principals, the representation of Black women in media, as well as using platforms that give us full agency as Black women. This is a one-on-one with Karan. In our second segment, we have an hour-long one-on-one interview with author Janice Poon. She talks about her book, Feeding Hannibal, a connoisseur's cookbook, which is a collection of easy-to-follow recipes that are inspired by the show. And she sits down on a one-on-one with Kendall about how she uses food as a work of art. So that's our show. Two great segments. If you're a fan of TV shows like Vice Principals and Hannibal, you're definitely going to love this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Check us out on Twitter. Use the hashtag BGM podcast. Let us know what you think of these episodes of the show. Also, you can share us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play Music and leave comments and give us a rating. All of those things do matter, and it lets us know how we're doing on the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. BGN 104, Vice Principals and Feeding Hannibal. Kimberly Abair Gregory is an actress best known for her role as Dr. Belinda Brown in the HBO comedy series Vice Principals. Abair Gregory has appeared in films such as I Think I Love My Wife, Red Hook Summer, White Alligator, The Genesis of Lincoln, and she guest starred on Gossip Girl, Law and Order, Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, Two and a Half Men, and The Big Bang Theory. In 2014, she had a reoccurring role as Lucinda Miller in the Lifetime comedy drama series Devious Maids. In 2016, Abair Gregory starred as series regular Dr. Belinda Brown in the HBO comedy series Vice Principals. Hey guys, this is Karan with the Black Girl Nerds podcast, and we have a very special guest today. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a new boss on the block. Her name is Kimberly Abair Gregory, and she is the breakout star of HBO's Vice Principals. Kimberly, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Why, Karan, thank you so much for having me. Um, the breakout star is quite generous, so I really appreciate you guys. Oh, no, it's not. I just have to know. How is it that you found a way to get paid to act this much of a fool for a living? <laughs> um, you know, I am so, I'm shocked still by some of the antics that we <laughs> we did for that show. It, it was such a, a, a shock and a blessing that, you know, we even stumbled upon this particular role. They sent the role out earlier in the year. They actually cast someone in it and then they decided to recast and we were fortunate enough to get in there. And um, I read with Danny, Jody was in the room and, you know, he and I just hit it off. And thankfully we walked out of there with um with a good trio, I think. I think that is the understatement of the year. Let me tell you, I did not know what to expect when I started watching this show. But when I tell you I have a very strange relationship with my very strange adult children, <laughs> when I tell you we were in the floor falling out, especially the first time you broke loose when he came for you. <laughs> 
this this show is incredible but it's not without controversy because there are a lot of things that make people extremely uncomfortable and there's been sure. some criticism so what do you sure. say to that criticism you know i i think the criticism often reflects um what i call people attempting to protect um black images in particular, because I'm assuming we're talking about probably the breaking, the, the burning of the house and and just the look of a um, a woman of color being uh, gunned for by two white men. Absolutely. So, um, I, I think those optics were interesting to me. As a, as, a, as a black woman and um, having been educated at all white institutions, um, it wasn't unfamiliar, nor did it seem untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also felt like it was a real opportunity for, for black women. I, I just have to be honest that I feel like our, um, our strength is often made into a trope for a lot of reasons in media. And I just thought, what a great opportunity to play a woman who I felt was completely complicated, completely capable in her professional life, but is not holding it together in her her personal personal life. life. Exactly. Exactly. So you get, you get me right where I am. And so I thought, you know, oftentimes we are only willing to see a, um, a black woman be as strong and beat them all. You know, it's sort of what I call the Rosa Parks syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. she's perfect. She has no problems. She, right. She's going to go in. She's going to save the day. And you know what? She's uh, frying chicken by the time she, uh-uh, that's not Belinda. And I don't think that's many of us. And so, although I felt like people kind of pushed back, I think it's because, quite frankly, white viewers and white liberal viewers and I'm this is I'm I'm painting with a very broad stroke this uh-huh. is post 11-9 we just got to get down to the truth of a thing we have no alternative facts for me today okay um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think that that was a pushback because people wanted to feel like they were on the right side. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? It's yep. like, I can't support um, something that feels like uh, it is racist or uh, misogynistic. Mm-hmm. When we when we support those things in every show, <laughs> you know, every white male-led show that we watch and, and we're just not conscious of it. So I think by Danny and those writers and Rough House putting a Black woman in the middle they really challenged us all, black folks included, to 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 say who has a right to fight mm-hmm. and with whom. And I felt very capable as the character Belinda, as the artist Kimberly, to say, you don't have to protect me in this way. You don't have to protect her in that way. She can fight for herself. <laughs> she can literally. She sure can. She, fight for her. Literally, she can fight for herself. Now, mm-hmm. we celebrate our brilliance at Black Girl Nerds, and I want to say that I was really blown away when I really got to your real resume. You have a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in social work? Yes, I do. So, you, <laughs> so, so you're one of us, is what you're saying. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, Karan. I hope we're not meeting by chance. You I are hope one I... of us. We welcome yeah. you with open arms. And, and well, thank you. Dr. Belinda Brown and, and Vice Principal, you do deal head on with issues of race, 
misogyny, entitlement. But mm-hmm. I think one of the most uh, impressive things about the series is it confronts all of these things, the, the stuff that we talk about amongst one another, it puts mm-hmm. it out in the open. And not only does it does that do that, but it allows us to laugh. And I think within the state that our country is in, with everything mm. that we're dealing with, with race relations, with our government, with mm-hmm. um, number 45, because I do not call him by name. Um, I guess. <laughs> sometimes I love we that. Do need I love that. I think relief. I'm going to take that number 45. Okay, go ahead. We do num- I do number 45 or I do lowercase letters. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's my problem. Rightfully so. Rightfully, Rightfully so. so. Rightfully so. So, I did read somewhere that you are hoping to get behind the camera sometime soon. You know, I, I am, I, um, I know this of myself and I think Karan, why you probably do this podcast and why so many of us are looking at platforms that allow us to really have full agency Mm -hmm. with our image and our voices. Um, I, I feel like there are stories to be told, particularly, uh, about black women. And, and I'm not even going to be general and say women of color. Mm-hmm. I am specifically interested in the untold and clearly after seeing the piece Hidden Figures, the concerted effort to, to keep untold yeah. our historical relevance mm-hmm. and how this country could not be what it is without us. Because I, my mother and I were talking about that after seeing Hidden Figures, and I know this may be a departure, but I think it speaks to why I want to be behind the camera. Um, it's because if we hadn't gone to the moon, if this country hadn't gone to the moon, this country would not have beaten communism. Do you understand? I mean, we, it it really changed the cold war and and to know that that, that was the doing of a black woman. It was. That was the, that, that she, several black women, Mm -hmm. computers were their name, not just because they could compute, but because they were computers before we knew what a computer really was. And corrected the errors of the computers when the system was in place. And corrected the errors, not just of the the computers, but corrected the errors. Corrected the errors. Of everybody in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I think our our specific, our nuanced, our hard, soft, loving, angry, um, empathetic, pathetic stories they, we deserve to be heard and seen fully. And I, um, I would like to be a part of that. I think, you know, Ava DuVernay has such a beautiful touch. Yes, um, yes, yes. You know, she has inspired me to uh, want to come forward in many different ways um, to really say what it is we know to be true. Mm-hmm. I mean, say, say what it is, like you said, we say to each other. Um, everybody needs to know it now. I, I mean, you know, everybody just needs to know Absolutely. how fantastic we are. Um, and, and, and because we're fantastic, that doesn't make other people less, right. but I also want you to know, I want people to know origin stories, like the origin story of a beautiful curvy body did not start, <laughs> you know, in Calabasas, say, say that. 
that what? Can I? I mean, I love it. I think it's great, but I just need y'all to know that. I need you to understand it wasn't surgically enhanced either. I just need you to know mm. that. Naturally. <laughs> so Naturally. That, voluptuous in all of our glory. All of it is beautiful. And and then also like that level of victory and yes. that level of defeat. Yes. And and that's what I love about Belinda. It's like the defeat is real because unfortunately, and to our fortune, unfortunately, that's what's that's where we start to really harness and and, and gather that ancestral blood memory mm-hmm. strength. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, oh, blood memory says, oh, I remember when you kicked me down right. <laughs> at that time. But I also remember when we got up and and I feel like Belinda does that. And I just like more stories. I like more images. I like for us to be. Uh, I, I want us to validate us and love us. I so agree. There's only one thing I have to say, though, Dr. Belinda, she need to beat her kids. Listen, <laughs> listen. Why don't you beat them? She needs to slap listen. the boys. Listen, Karan. <laughs> this is what I have to say to you. I told Jody. I said, Jody, these these kids wouldn't be in my house. That is the writing, and it served a greater story purpose. Yes, yes. But but I I do not disagree. I told him every time we said cut, I said y'all he couldn't live here. They uh-huh. not now one of these, <laughs> not now one of these could live up in here with me. It's funny, not but you watch it and it's funny. But you you sitting there saying to yourself, no, that's not no, that's that wouldn't happen. That now you know, happen. you you know, you would not have another breath to take. It wouldn't happen. Oh, it would have just been over day one. And and you know what and. And I agree, but I also love that she is so, her life is so unmanageable. And, yes. and though we, She's and though it's a wreck, and though maybe you and I and our families, like in our personal nuclear families would not raise children who um, had the audacity, right. <laughs> not even the audacity of hope, but just the audacity, the audacity. <laughs> just the unmitigated gall to open their mouths and speak in such a manner. I have gone to places and seen things where people who look like me and mother who I thought would be like me have kids who are getting very close right. to that kind of behavior. They push the limits. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, so as far-fetched as it seemed for Belinda and for Kimberly, um, and and maybe more for Kimberly than for Belinda. You know, I think there's a there's a kernel of truth and a cautionary tale for mm-hmm. all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I will tell you though, I don't forget you the one that took McDreamy to DC. I have not forgotten. What did you say? I have not forgotten that you made McDreamy go to DC. You took him away from <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a, you know what? We have Miss Shonda Rhimes to thank and bless for that. I had nothing to do with that. We love her. I mean, I was I was hoping that we would all have a shoot off where we were all in DC living happily ever. After. Well, you know what, Kimberly, you know, you 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 are you are the actress, you are the artist that we see in so many places, but couldn't necessarily put a name with the face. And oh. now we have a beautiful face, a beautiful name, and a beautiful glory to carry it. So thank you so much for your time today. Karan, it has been my honor and my gift. Thank you so much for having me. 
Feeding Hannibal, a Connoisseur's Cookbook is a collection of easy-to-follow recipes inspired by the show and created by its food stylist, Janice Poon. Each recipe is accompanied by a fascinating insider's anecdotes, delightful artwork, and revealing behind-the-scenes photos of stars and crew on the set of Hannibal. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Kendall, and joining us today is Janice Poon. Janice is a Toronto-based food sculptor, painter, and writer. She served as the food stylist for NBC's dark and haunting series Hannibal, and is also the creator of Feeding Hannibal, a connoisseur's cookbook, featuring recipes, fascinating insider's anecdotes, delightful artwork, and revealing behind-the-scenes photos of the stars and crew while on the Hannibal set. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, Janice. Thank you for joining us. Well, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> um, so I think I'll have you start by just telling us a little bit about your background in food and art and just what led to your work on Hannibal. Oh, my goodness. It's such a long and winding road. Uh, and I always tell people that you never... Um, never ask me for career advice because it, it has been just such a winding, circuitous kind of um, career that I've had. I've always just sort of done what I like and what I enjoy and think, well, I'll get around to making money later. And it's actually true what they say about if you do what you love, you end up um, certainly making enough money out of it because you you have so much fun in your life doing what you enjoy that you don't you know you don't need to take that big break you don't need uh, somebody said to me the other day well when are you gonna, you know what do you think you're going to retire and um, you know take up a hobby I said what are you crazy you know <laughs> because I paint I sculpt I write so if I retired um, what would I be doing all those things but not be, not get not get paid. I said, well, that's too sad. But anyway, I digress. You'll notice I do that a bit. Um, I started, yeah, sorry. (laughs) I started out not ever wanting to be in food because um, I grew up in a a family. We had several restaurants and a bunch of businesses that were food-centric. And you notice right away that uh, it's not – it's a business where you're working 24-7. You know, we're always talking about food, thinking about food, handling food. It's all about food. And I thought, you know, and our parents didn't want that either. They didn't really want us to be in food because it is such a hard, hard career. Um, so I said, no, well, I'm going to go to art school then. I'm going to, you know, and um, and I, more to the point, I'm going to go to a commercial art school because – I am not interested in starving in a garret, but you know, life life does what life wants, and here I am starving in a garret. But never mind. Um, I took commercial art so that I could work in advertising. But then, of course, what they don't tell you when you're working adver- when you go to school to learn advertising arts, they don't tell you. Well, you have to be a sycophant to get along, and you're going to have to go along with um, cliches and things that you, you know, my idea going into advertising was that, oh, I'm going to change advertising, you know, because I'm sick and tired of these 
you know, women standing beside refrigerators and pointing at things or scantily clad uh, chicks running around drinking, you know, having beer poured on them and thinking that's, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to put an end, I'm going to get into, uh, I'm going to get into advertising, I'm going to change all that. And then, of course, about three weeks into it, I realized, you know what, advertising is going to change me before I change advertising. So I got out of it and started doing um, artwork. Uh, and that somehow led to writing and uh, sprinkled in that because I got involved in magazines and that's how that went. I started designing magazines and then I got involved with a food magazine and then I got drawn into food styling because um, with all, I mean, everybody is much more savvy about food and how, how advertising works. But back in the day, people had no idea that there was actually a job to go in and make food for, to be photographed or make food for people to eat on film they just you know they just sort of didn't think about it. it was just one of those sort of things like air that was there but uh so i was shocked when i was an art director and the uh, uh and the and the food stylist walked in and started manipulating the food and i thought well isn't that hilarious you know i could do that but of course i didn't until the opportunity arose and then it just sort of rolled on and on and on and that's how I became a food stylist. And and then Hannibal phoned me. The Hannibal people phoned me when I was in the middle of a uh, rewriting a children's book. And I was, I know, you know what? And you're a writer, so you know. When you're staring at that blank page, you know, when you're painting, you can dab stuff on and kind of then scrape it off and dab it. When you're writing, if you get going down a road, you'll be like, 2,000 words into it before you realize, no, no, that's wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or worse, you're sitting there and the and and nothing's coming to you. Yeah. Like there's nothing, you just think, partly I think because I, it was a rewrite. I was being asked to do the second rewrite because it was a, a new, a different publisher. And uh, I, I, I just thought, you know, I don't want to rewrite this. I want you to publish it. I want you to give me the check. (laughs) Anyway, and the phone rang, and it was somebody from my long distant past who knew somebody who knew that I was a food stylist. And they asked me if I would do this show called Hannibal. And I just wanted a break Mm -hmm. from writing. And I said, sure. And that was... It. I disappeared down that rabbit hole for five years. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I mean, and it, it sounds like, I mean, obviously the work that you're doing, it's like the perfect marriage of all of the things that you love, like that blending of food and art together. What do you say to people who say that food isn't art or that it can't be art? Uh, everything is art. You know, I, I, I say that to people all the time, regardless of whether, whether it's a scarf or a brooch or a carrot or a, you, ha- you have to put it down. You might as well put it someplace nice, you know, make your world beautiful. I think that that's always been uh, um, something that I've lived by. Something I learned from my mother is that beauty is everywhere. You just have to notice it. It's I, and you have to bring it out because I think that that uh, 
beauty is what we all seek. Um, it's it's sort of undefinable, but you know it when you see it. It's a certain balance. It's a certain movement. It's a certain sound, but it resonates somehow. We all can agree on uh, uh, on the calm that comes over us when we when we are in the presence of beauty. There's something about it, and uh, food is no different from anything else. It can be made beautiful quite easily. It just takes, yeah. you just have to, it's almost as if you just have, if you love it, it will be beautiful for you because, you know, it, you just, you give it that love and it gives you beauty back. It's a bit abstract, but that's the way I, that's what I tell people. And then they look at me and shake their heads and wander off. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree because I think, you know, with everything, like you said, with, you know, the way you dress, um, or just nature in general. I think everything presentation is important and I think that applies to food and you know you go somewhere and you sit down and you eat and you see how it's presented to you and how it's put together and it just looks appetizing. It looks like you want to eat it. Um, it in, it increases the enjoyment. I often tell people who who think, well, I'm just going to throw it on you know, on the plate. And I think, well, you can throw it on the plate, but you can throw it on the plate with a flourish or just add a garnish or do something because it's like wrapping a present. It's, you know, it's like telling the people that you're cooking for, uh, that I, I spent all, I just said I wasn't going to swear, but I spent all fucking day making this. I want you to unwrap it. It is a present. It's putting something, putting a garnish on a dish is like putting a bow on a present. The real thing is inside. But it just makes the person stop and say, oh, look, this is something special. It's, it says, slow down, enjoy this. It's going to be great. So going off of that, where do you draw your inspiration from? Um, you know, if you, you're, you're putting a plate together, you're putting a dish, an entree together, what, what do you pull from? What resources do you pull from? What inspires you? I'd say just about everything inspires me. I, 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 um, literature inspires me a lot because so many of the uh, wonderful passages you read uh, describe the food. It forces you to visualize it in your mind, and which is kind of a marvelous thing. It's almost better than actually seeing an actual thing because it, it becomes what you want. It becomes what you wish it is. If you when you you know when you're reading something and think. Um, red flower in your mind it's the most gorgeous red flower you can summon in your mind and so that's the image you take with you um, so I remember reading something in um, well um, of course I forgot the name of the book uh, Belly of Paris of course Zola's Belly of Paris where the protagonist is walking down the street and he looks in the window and he sees the butcher display and he it just like yeah, it's horrible. He goes in, he says, this is terrible. He says, let me do it. And he puts all these, he builds up the sausages and then everything in a, in, a, in a very beautiful display. And, he, and he's exclaiming about, oh, the, the, the black, the rich, rich black of this blood sausage is, is uh, I could never get a black in my pigments so as gorgeous as this, as this blood sausage. And it just pushes your mind to... You know, great literature will push you to imagine 
things in your mind's eye. And that's a great source of inspiration. Of course, painting, uh, um, Salvador Dali has been a wonderful inspiration because he's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, Salvador of course, <laughs> exactly. I mean, really, you know, because I wouldn't normally think of putting a lobster on a telephone or, or <laughs> making a dress out of uh, bloodied crayfish or, you know, he, but he's crazy. And so it's so it's nice to dip your pen in that madness. And, um, of course, all the beautiful still life paintings uh, that the Dutch masters did, which were perfect for Hannibal because he his, he's all about being slightly overdone, being slightly over um, overripe and too much and overflowing and almost rotten and um, into that ostentatious. Um, I would say as Hannibal, not that he's into that, but that he wants to point that out as a human failing. And um, so so that was a device that I used in my work for Hannibal. That's so awesome. And it's funny that you mentioned like the Dutch masters and things like that, because I know that you have um, your blog, which is also called Feeding Hannibal. And so I read, you know, I've read a few of your posts that you did while you were working on the show and just about different things like um, paintings and literature that you use to kind of blend your work together. And I thought that that was so cool because I'm like, oh, my God, like there's art and there's books and it's it's just everything that I love. And um, I, I actually went to Amsterdam last year. Oh, and- Wonderful. Yeah, my cousin and I went on a little girls trip and Mm. we had so much fun. So many museums, Uh all of the art. I just love it. Um, Rembrandt, Van Gogh, all of that stuff. Fabulous stuff. Fabulous. That's the great thing about traveling. Yeah. Because, you know, we've got great galleries and uh, museums here, but, you know, you think, oh, I'll do that next week. Or no, I'll do that next week. When you're traveling, you actually have the time to to leisurely soak all this stuff in and it's marvelous yeah but all that stuff you can apply to to everything i mean i think that multidis all the arts um and life itself all can be used to as ingredients in in a really beautiful dish definitely so um speaking of hannibal First of all, that show was absolutely amazing. It was one of the most beautiful shows I have ever seen. Just the way that it's shot. And I love to eat. I absolutely love to eat. And the first thing that I noticed when I started watching Hannibal was the food. Why, so thank you. To you. Okay, well, second thing, right after Matt's. Yes, after well, Matt's, after. then the. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, yes. Darling, of course. (laughs) But food is so crucial to the plot, the character Mm -hmm. development, and the suspense. Mm -hmm. What would you say was the most challenging dish that you had to design or prepare for the show? Um, I I think that um, they were all challenging Mm -hmm. uh, because... Um, at one point I I was thinking, you know, is this a game? Is this a cruel game they're playing? They're sitting around in the writer's room thinking, 
what can we do that is completely impossible? What can we put in the script that Janice will never be able to do? <laughs> of course, they're not thinking of me at all. I was being paranoid. But some of the things I just thought, you know, you, this is impossible. But therein lies the, uh, the fun of it all. Because, the more, of course, the more difficult it is, then when you come out the other end and solve it, the, the more wonderful it, the more wonderful the job you feel about the job. It's like, wow, I did it. I didn't think I could, but I did. It's that, that challenge that keeps, keeps you so motivated to, to do better next time. To do, Of course, and that's the other thing, too, because everybody on Hannibal was doing such a great job. And everything looked so fantastic. And you'd bring your funny little stuff in to set and those clothes would be spectacular and the sets would be fantastic and unimaginably gory uh, prosthetics. And you think, well, I better step up my game here or, um, you know, it's going it, it, to it's going to it's going to fail. And I think probably to your question, though, the hardest one I had to do was the uh, anchovy swimming in a Mobius strip in gelatin above a, um, a, a Russian uh, aspic dish. Um, the main thing we have to do with food in a film is it has to be edible because the, 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 the actors are going to eat it. And they and none of them, you know, so it can't be too spicy or it can't be, you know, can't smell and it can't do. There's so many other. Then it has to be able to sit there for hours, and it has to not go bad because we don't want to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but that was really, I thought, you know, how am I going to get anchovies that are out of season to to swim in a Mobius strip, which is an abstract shape? not a real shape. (laughs) You know, oh my God. Uh, But I just, you know, you just, I just um, had an epiphany actually when I was standing in the, in the supermarket, in the uh, tinfoil section, looking around and, um, you know, my poor mind is spinning and waiting for something to lock (laughs) <laughs> and I saw the thing that made it all work. These little liners that you're supposed to put in your stove, under your in your stove. And I thought, holy crow! I can cut those up and make them into Mobius strips, and strap the fish on. And then, but it was so difficult. It was really hard. It was hard. And suspending it all in gelatin, which isn't clear, even though everybody thinks it is. Oh, so wow. that's a problem. And how long, how long did that take? Well, I guess um, I usually had about um, three days to think about it and uh, a couple of days to do it. So would so, they have um, like specific things in the script? You would get the script ahead of time. You know, would it say what they want the dish to be? Or did you just have to kind of create on the fly? How, how did that work? Well, sometimes they would say, like in the case of the Mobius strip, the anchovies swimming in formation in the jello, that was in the script. Because believe me, I would never task myself with something like that. If plus anchovies, you know what? So smelly. They are the just about the smelliest thing. 
and fish in particular, actors hate, like everybody hates the smell of fish when it's been sitting on the set for, you know, three hours, two hours. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, so that was already, I already was uh, impossible. But sometimes the scripts would say, Hannibal puts down a dish, which would be, yahoo, I get to do whatever I want. But, you know, um, half the time, um, it would be sort of in the middle. Like Brian would uh, send me an email. I've got a whole leg. What can we do? And and it was always so much fun because he he um, he always sounded like a, a a kid in a candy store. Oh look, I've got a whole leg. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a delight. He was it was. Delight is the wrong word. I don't. He was fantastic to work with because he just challenged everybody's creativity to the max, and everybody was. We were all like a bunch of you know German shepherds. Like, do you like this? Do you like this? Do you like this? Just all wanting to please him so much because he he's such a. I mean, the genius word is just used all over the place, but just he really is working on multiple levels of genius, and he's not one of those geniuses that says you know. Like, I'm a genius and you're not. He was so open to, you know, well, your ideas and and then taking, like, some people uh, will will say, oh, yeah, I'd like your ideas. And then they just, like, you know, ignore them when you, when you're, but he was just like, oh, that's interesting. And then we could do that. Like, he'll take your ideas and fold them with his magic and then give it back to him to think, well, yeah, that was pretty brilliant of me, wasn't it? <laughs> So it just becomes, and then everybody's doing it, like, you know, just being, uh, to be in that creative milieu and knowing that the show is going to be so gorgeous and then wanting it to be more gorgeous every time. It was just such a treat. Oh, I bet. And, you know, when I was going through your cookbook, one of the best parts of it to me were the anecdotes that you put in there about working with Brian and just that whole aspect of what it was like to work with the team on the set. Cause I yeah. think it just adds to just how, you know, we see the show and we're like, Oh my God, this, this is so beautiful. And then you're over here telling us like how you all made it. As yeah. Or that it's like a train wreck. Right. 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 <laughs> or that it's like, a, it looks like it's going to be a train wreck and somehow some miracle happens and it all comes together. It is it's so ridiculous some of the things that we are that we have to do and some of the things we do. You so often you find yourself standing in the middle of like wherever saying, "What? What did I ever do to get here? Like, why am I here on my you know hands and knees in an abattoir? Like, what? <laughs> what's what's happening?" Oh, man. And I think you I think you said. Um somewhere that Mads was so easy to work with because oh, he, he would was. Eat. yeah <laughs> he was hilarious he's so funny he's he's so easygoing you know, a lot of actors are um i wouldn't say it's difficult but they stay in character they sort of method and um so there you kind of have to tiptoe around them a little bit you don't know if like are they acting or are they in 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 I don't want to break their mood or you know you have to be very very careful but with mass you know is it was quips back and forth it was very you know lots of teasing lots of ribbing lots of camaraderie and 
and I mean, I think that's why we had so much fun because it was such hard work. We worked so, so hard. Uh, but uh, Hugh was just so, just like a puppy, delightful. And Matt's was just devilish and funny. And they, you know, they were just, uh, just so much fun to work with. And then, and then you'd see them on the monitor, and you'd think, "Oh my God, they're fantastic! They're these these incredibly gifted actors." And you know, we were just shooting the breeze and smoking in the alley, <laughs> like a couple of criminals. And then they, and then, and then there they are with their incredible, you know, charisma and talent um, on the screen. It's just so interesting. That's so awesome. Um... I, I want to go back to um, your blog mm. for a little bit, Feeding Hannibal. So one of my favorite entries on the blog and also in the cookbook as well um, is the one about the human leg <laughs> and, and the bed of coals and the ice that represents the lake of ice from Dante's Inferno. I mean, I... I, I opened the cookbook and I saw, first of all, the pictures are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank you. But I saw that leg and like wrapped in what banana leaves. Is that yes, what it is? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Tell yeah. us a little bit about that human leg. That's not that human leg. Like, well, that was really something because we, we didn't know it was going to be the last scene, but it was the last scene of the, the final episode of that year. And um, as Brian would always say, um, in TV series, every year can be, you know, every year has to be like a finale um, because we don't know if we're going to get renewed. And so um, Brian sent me an email saying, I want this to be the most beautiful thing you ever made. Uh, okay, no problem, Brian. Easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, I think... Could you just have you know make make it a bit lighter? Could we go like with the almost the, like a contender for the best? But he said, "I want this to be the absolute best thing you've ever done in your life." I go, "Oh, oh, okay, no problem." And um, you know, of course, you feel like after three years, you think, "Have I used up every idea I have for things you can do with the human body?" You know, like and you think, "Oh God!" And I so I asked my brother actually. I was, you know emailing at three at three o'clock in the morning the only people who are up on the west coast right so i like, i don't know what the hell that it was like i need some food ideas and he said well he was just in hawaii he says how about a luau i said well are you crazy you know <laughs> luau you know we're not in the suburbs al we're not having a luau that wait a second though it's perfect because it's a pit you know pit roasted thing that's very that's very hannibal-esque um Slow because because it's a leg, you know, it still has to make sense from a culinary standpoint. And a leg is a leg is not tender. Even Bedelia's leg wouldn't be tender. And um, it, it's um, it had to be something slow cooked. So I don't, you know, it couldn't be a stew. It had to be the whole leg. And I thought, you know what, that is a really good idea. It's because you wrap it in leaves, you wrap it in mud, you bury it. But I thought, well, of course I can take, you know, because I have a background as a florist. So, you know, um, especially with bridal bouquets, people are doing all kinds of crazy things with those 
tea, those long tea leaves. And so that's what I used. I used those leaves to, so, because I think the food always has to be hot because the main thing with uh, food styling is that it's a long way from the plate to the actor's face. And that's where the camera is on the actor's face. So you have to try to get your food up <laughs> a little bit higher so it gets in the frame and then maybe you'll get a close up. So this was going to work perfectly. And then uh, because it was the last uh, thing I wanted and we wanted, wanted to be beautiful, I thought it has to have flowers. And if it's Hawaiian, it would have to have flowers. And I thought, well, flowers is too beautiful. It has to have something else too. So I thought, well, what's the most sort of romantic but hellish thing? It's like, oh, you know, Beatrice and Dante and the, you know, the rings of the rings of hell. Why not? I'm in it. So why not? Uh, why not expound on it? And um, so I thought, OK, so that's, you know, fire and ice and all those things. And it all sort of came together that way. That's yeah, I was so impressed by that. I just, I looked at it and I, I said, wow, wow. I was just floored. Um, just the whole aspect of that grand presentation. And by the way, I, I love the implementation of like food history, mm. and art history, uh, both on the show and, and in the cookbook. Um, how long did it take for you to create the cookbook? Oh, it just seemed that, that um, uh, it seems banal to say it, but the cookbook was just there waiting to be written down. So it had to, because I'd done a lot of the recipes, they just had to be tested and um, and I'd written the blog. So I, you know, had all that sort of idea of how to tell the story, stories of what, I had a lot of feedback from the fanables as to what, stories they thought were fun and which ones were just plain old sad because <laughs> it's a lot of both and so um it probably took um about six months to write it and then another two months to um do the photography and another sort of mm, few more months in there testing recipes and retesting recipes and then you have to correct the galleys and it takes it takes a while but um it actually took longer to get all the signatures on the contract than it did to write the cookbook that such is the such is the way of the world i can believe but, that yeah yeah because it, because it's a network show and then all the mm -hmm. producers and then all the actors uh, uh, you know you have to make sure that you know, on and on and on. So that's, um, yeah. But it, it, um, it's the kind of work that kind of, except for the, except for the, uh, proofreading is the kind of work that kind of flies by because it's, um, it's telling, it's telling a story. It's, it's, uh, bringing life to an image that was formerly just in your head. So it's kind of was more fun than work. Oh, but you know, and I love your uh, the drawings that you have, the sketches, you know, oh, showing like you. the episodes and and things like that. Well, you know, it's so funny because those drawings are just working drawings, and um, usually that's what I always do for anything, really. If it's a ball gown, or if it's a floral arrangement, or if it's a a food a dish, 
it's easier for everybody if I just draw it because if I try to explain it in words, for, nobody's going to read the email and nobody will even look at an email now. So it has to be really concise if you're going to send a text. So I found the easiest way is to do a sketch. But I noticed that when I sent the sketches out, because um, it was there was more there were I had to get more input in the early days with this than I had on any any other show I'd worked on as a food stylist. It was pretty much just a, just a question of getting it signed off and yeah yeah okay, and but this one people had questions they wanted to know and they uh, so I said okay you know like well is it colorful enough like. Hello, carrots. Hello, tomatoes. You know, <laughs> okay, fine. I'll color it for you guys. And that's how those sketches evolved because they're just my regular working sketches, but I put some color in it. And then um, it was, I'm more shocked than anybody that people are interested in the sketches. Um, but it became something that uh, I learned from the blog that people liked. And, um, uh, we auctioned some off. Jillian Anderson has a, ha, who played Bedelia, of course, has um, a, a lot of uh, of, of um, charities that she does work with, and um, as does Brian. And I gave them sketches to auction for, and they and they went for, uh, you know, four figures, which shocked me. Because they're just, you know, I've got um, files full of drawings if anybody would like to. <laughs> But of course, it's because it's Hannibal, and because um, they're colored, and it's, it's all part of a it's all part of a, a, a work. Yeah, and I also think that when it comes to art and artists, just creators in general, people love to know what's in the artist's head or what's in the writer's head. I guess so. I guess it's process, huh? People are interested yeah. in seeing the process, and. Um, yeah, but most of the time it's just me staring into middle space, which is not quite so interesting, or or yelling at the shopper. <laughs> not that kind of corn, the other kind of corn. <laughs> now, did you have to do um, a lot of research on food history? Is that something that you are just already knowledgeable, knowledgeable about? Oh, I've always been fascinated with food history because it is, because I'm fascinated by food, and I'm I've all I'm fascinated with how food people react to food and how groups of people react to food and how you can get this is now just between you and me if you've got any uh, plans for the future for somebody you can get anything you want with a well-made pie. Oh yes. You can a well-made especially an apple pie or even a cheese pie but usually a double crust Anything you want with a pie. It's, it, food is so interesting because I've so often wondered, like, why do we all have to rush out and get a turkey all at the same time? What is it about society? What is it about um, about about gold food, about golden brown turkeys, about you know these sort of festival foods, and why do because Food has meant a lot to me in, um, I, I hesitate to call it literature, but when I was a kid reading uh, children's books, of course, um, I, I would read about the, oh, 
pink pink candy mice. Like I wonder what those are like. And I would try and I would after I put down the book and I would spend hours trying to make what I thought the pink candy mice were or the this you know trying to make make an imaginary world more real by making it and eating it. <laughs> that mm-hmm. sounds a bit weird, but then you th- start to think about human sacrifice or or sacrificial lambs or all the things or even the um I'm not Catholic so I can't remember what it's called but you know when you take uh the wafer which is supposed to be the flesh which is communion mm-hmm. and for Catholics that is the flesh of is it the flesh of God I'm sorry Catholics I don't know but you know the wine is the blood like that's a form of cannibalism why you know and so then why are, why is it such a taboo? Like, I'm glad it's a taboo, but why is cannibalism such a taboo now when it didn't used to be? And, um, you know, why do people have all these food rules? It's also fascinating. And I've always believed you can that a culture reveals itself through, through its food. So it's always been a natural um, interest for me. But that's the other thing I liked about Hannibal is that it gave me a great excuse to, to do more reading on you know these sorts of things. Do more research on that. On you know people's uh, relationship with food, which is which is in itself a kind of murder because you have to, in order to live, something has to die, whether it's a carrot or whether it's a, a cow. Uh, in living, there is always an implied death, except for plants, of course. You know, plants are the only thing that you know, but with with animals it's life and death every meal is life and death that's true that's true yeah. Yeah. So, so what is your favorite food oh my god can't you tell i love it all yes i know it's hard it's <laughs> hard to the next it. meal that's my favorite one the next meal <laughs> yeah no i start I, using that. I, i'm terrible that way i mean i just in my mind now of course it's flooded with like oh I love Peking duck. Oh, I love, you know, oh, I love rice. I love rice pudding. I love black rice pudding. It's my favorite thing right now. My favorite snack right now is black rice pudding with coconut milk in it. And, but of course, you know, I'll be sick of that in a couple of weeks. And my favorite thing is going to be, you know, um, something else. But I, I, I just, I love it all. And I'm, I'm so interested in, um, I guess what you would call international food because it's food of other cultures. I love exploring the food of other cultures because of the insight it gives you and because it's new and because you can always take something. It's, it's new, but it's also common. There's always, always a common thread and that's, there's always that human thread that ties us all together. Uh, it's just so interesting. Food is just so interesting. Like, like Kentucky fried chicken has got to be, the most universal dish. <laughs> you gotta love Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know you, you gotta got, love fried chicken. Got it. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? No, but that's so true. I mean, and anytime I'm traveling, that food is so important. I'm always like, oh, okay, I wanna, I wanna try like authentic dishes because it's like you said earlier, your culture is reflected in the food that you eat, and I just, you know, I just think it's so great how different people from different walks of life can just come together at the dinner table and share this experience because it is an experience. 
It is an experience. Yeah, it very much. It's uh, it's an it's experience, and it's also a ritual because there's a kind of a truce that you make when you sit down with people, and you're armed. You know, you've got forks and knives. You <laughs> you know, and it's just like you know, we're just going to sit down. We're just going to have a break. We're just going to have a nice time. We're not going to think about who's in the Oval Office or that there's a war happening down the street. We're just going to have a moment of calm and enjoy each other's company and break bread, share, break bread together and trust that the person who cooked it isn't going to kill us. You know, it's, there's so much trust and so much sharing and uh, exchange. Um, it's a very intimate thing to do. And the other thing that I think is interesting about food, not that you asked me, but is that we eat in restaurants, that it's such a private thing, yet ritualistically we do it publicly. Why? Like, why? Anyway. I never thought about that. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And you will sitting cheek by jowl and you'll be sitting right next to a couple that's on their first date and, well, thank goodness, or what's the point of going to a restaurant if you can't eavesdrop on somebody? <laughs> you know, it's just food is so fascinating how it, how it, um, you know, when you're on, a, speaking of first dates, when you're on a first date and you, and it's so telling when you have dinner with somebody, the way they eat, the way they order, they, you know, if they want to share what's on their plate, you know, can you believe I've been out with people who are not the least bit interested in what's on my plate, <laughs> are not the least bit interested in letting me try what's on their plate. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> yeah, because I'm that person. I mean, especially when I know you, like oh. my friends and I, we do this thing. I'm like, okay, yeah. you order this, I order yeah, this. exactly. And we're all going to do that. Yeah. 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 New Orleans is one of my uh, favorite places to go just for the uh -huh. food. Like, oh, I love that and food. being in Houston, you know, it's a mm -hmm. hop, skip, and a jump. So we'll mm -hmm. be like, you know, I really want some beignets from Cafe yeah. Mon. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! Don't tell me about fabulous deep fried things with all that icing sugar on them. Like, how bad can they be? Yes, and the gumbo oh my and the boudin. Oh, and buffet is one of my favorite things. Yeah. I used to make it. I I went through a thing where I just made it every day, I, in um deep fried a zucchini boat. Just so so I cut the zucchini in half and dig a little trench and bread it and deep fry it and then you put the shrimp etouffee in it, and then you pretend there's a vegetable in there somewhere. <laughs> Right. I was like looking for anything that's green, even if it's yeah. not a vegetable. I'm like, well, it's yeah. something green, so I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Deep fried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what advice uh, would you give to people who are fans of the show? So for the fanables out there, but they might be a little intimidated by the recipes in the cookbook. You know, maybe they don't cook as often or this may be the first time they even open up a cookbook. What kind of advice would you give to those people? I would say just be strong. Just see it through. It's one step at a time. It's like when I'm painting a canvas, one brush stroke at a time. When you're when you're when you're walking, you know, it's one step at a time. When you're cooking, it's one step at a time. Just focus on the thing that's in front of you and whether it's three steps or ten steps, don't worry, because when you get to the end, there it is. And, um, and it's, it's not hard work if you love it, if you enjoy, uh, and, 
and it is enjoyable. I, I think that everybody would say it's therapeutic. And the only part about that it isn't enjoyable is if you fear that it's not going to turn out. But when you when you know that at the end it's going to be yummy, you're going to get to eat it. You're going to want to share it. You're going to bring delight to the people you share it with. Uh, like it's just it's just a joy all the way through except the dishes. That is another yeah. story. But never mind. The advice I would say is that um, give yourself time. You can split it up into several days, like get the ingredients one day, do some pre-prep, what we would call mise en place, like vegetable chopping and stuff like that, cutting things into, you know, pre-prepping stuff so that you're not having to slam it all into one day. And, um, and just enjoy it and don't feel pressured to make it delicious because it probably will be. And um, so don't sweat it. Just do it. That's great advice. And, and sometimes <laughs> even if it doesn't turn out right, that that's okay too. Because I know my friends and I, like sometimes we'll get together and like we'll cook something and or like we'll make a cake and then we take mm -hmm. it out and then the cake falls. <laughs> but you know, that's a cake. That's a lot. That's chocolate lava cake. When chocolate falls. Lava and we're going to eat it anyway, but yeah. it, it is kind of, it's, it's easier when you don't have to do it by yourself if you're not yeah 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 using your thing you know yeah yeah but simple. cooking yeah I think cooking I'm one of, I just think cooking is everybody's thing they just haven't found that métier that I mean they just haven't found that that one recipe that gateway recipe that opens the you know throws open the door and said wow that was like really easy breezy and people were really knocked out by it you know like. Asobuco is one of those dishes like it couldn't get any easier, but people are stunned by it. And they just think, wow, this is delicious. You know, it doesn't have to be made with veal shank, which is hideously expensive. It could be made with chicken. You just don't have to cook it as long. You know, like stuff like that. You know, it's just um, you find a simple recipe with simple ingredients. That's the other thing, I guess. Start start with the simple things. Uh and uh, and I'd say take it from there. The other thing, too, is that cooking is much different from baking. And some people are natural yes, cooks and some people are natural bakers. Because baking is more of a science. Like if you're a control freak, baking is great for you. And if you're like a, like whatever, more free form and sort of, you know, more jazz, then cooking is great for you because you it's not, it's not, it's not science. There's no physics involved. Not much. There is, but not as much. Like with baking as an exact thing, whereas cooking is you can has a lot, a lot of leeway with cooking. Yeah, I would say do and do small things for like don't and and don't invite a whole bunch of people over and try something new. That's a big mistake that people make. They think, oh, I'm going to try this really impressive dish. Um, just start cooking. Just start small. I, I'm glad you mentioned that about um, the baking and the cooking because mm -hmm. um, my best friend and I we we talk about that too because it it takes two different sides of your brain. You know, like mm -hmm. you can just baking is like okay, I know that I need half a cup of this, you know, a teaspoon of this, yeah, yeah. and it has to be just that, and it'll come out yeah. right. Like cooking, yeah. you can kind of remix it a little bit. Exactly. And you can actually make it into something else. Whereas 
it's a bit harder with baking. It's a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. So switching gears just a little bit, we at Black Girl Nerds are very, very excited about the next project that you're working on. Which, uh, <laughs> which I is know. I can't wait. I can't wait till you guys see American Gods. Oh my goodness. And of course you get to, you get a sneak preview. I don't know what you're going to see at, uh, uh, I always say North by Northwest. It's South by Southeast, isn't it? Well, we have, no, which one are you going to? South by Southwest. South by Southwest. We have North by Northeast up here. So get, oh. That's why it's, Okay, that. directions are not my thing, okay? <laughs> well, I know North by Northwest because that's that Alfred Hitchcock movie. Oh, yeah, right, that's, with right. that's Grant. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we will be there for oh, the premiere of American Gods. When you meet these gods, well, first of all, hello, when you meet Shadow. Hello. I mean, hello. I mean, talk about tears to my eyes. The guy, when you, I can't. We'll have to talk about this later. <laughs> right. Off, uh, off the record. <laughs> honestly. Honestly. What, you know, because when we're working, we're just watching everything on the monitors. But sometimes you just have to stop and let your jaw slack a bit and drool. Oh, my God. He is or or just not or not even on the monitor. Just like when he comes over, say, oh, do you have any um, what's to eat? Like. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> like stops your breath like wait what but there are so many um and of course Jillian Anderson is in again she's fabulous but my favorite favorite character has got to be he's a leprechaun I never thought in my all my wildest imaginings that I would be enamored of a leprechaun but the guy who plays um the uh, of course I forgot his name name now, but um, he's just so funny. The role is so funny. All the characters are so interesting because they're because they're gods, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so they're willful and they're powerful and they're um, crazy, um, and they're a little bit mad because um, because they're not getting quite what they want at the time when we meet them, and. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, um, Ian McShane uh, is uh, just lying constantly. Like everybody, it's they're you know the gods are bad. They're just bad, bad, devilish people, or rather characters. And uh, and it's just so much fun. They get into so much trouble. They create so much trouble, and uh, and uh, with such kind of explosive results there's a there's a lot there's a lot in that series to uh to get your teeth into Definitely. and much more food than i thought there was going to be i thought oh you know there'll be the odd burnt offering but um they uh those gods can party on down they can they really they can really put on a spread and uh a lot. There were a lot of challenging things in that. Too, I'm, I'm gearing up to blog about that too. Um, so, yay! 
so you're gonna yeah. have your own yeah. like the... so there's, there's not food in every episode but okay. um but i'm just i'm wondering because a really uh dear friend of mine uh, that that i've i've known before either of us were in the film industry we were friends and she does hair and she's on american gods doing the hair so i thought well i wonder if we should do a tandem blog because um she was there like all the time, whereas I was only there when 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 there was food, and there wasn't food for every episode. So, I think I'm going to try to um, see if I can um, bring that to to my to my feeding Hannibal blog. I guess I'm still going to call it feeding Hannibal because um, because I'm a Hannibal girl. What can I say? As much as I love American Gods. We'll see uh, once it starts airing, um, but uh, you know Hannibal will always be. They'll always be Hannibal, and so it might be. I might have to change my. Who knows? I might have to change my Twitter handle handle to American Gods at Feeding American Gods at Feeding Hannibal. <laughs> I don't know. No. We'll save those sketches. I mean, if you're. Doing yeah. the drawings and stuff, save yeah. all of that because you never yeah. know there could be another cookbook in the future. Well, there could be. I'm uh, not. Uh, who knows? I was actually talking to um, to my publisher about it. They were very keen about it, and I said there isn't much food, but there's so much lore, and and uh, it's all intertwined. So who knows? It could be a. Um, a folkloric cookbook or a combination thereof. Yeah. 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 I got so excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) I love Neil Gaiman. I'm a huge fan of his work. I, um, I love that book. Yeah. You know, American gods. It's such, it's such a great book to read. So many wonderful characterizations. Yeah. Yes. And just, the way that he's able to tell a story. I mean, he's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he really is. He really is. I've enjoyed so much of his work, but American Gods especially is so meaty. There's so much in it. There's so much in it, yeah. And um, Shadow's wife is fantastic. She's hilarious. I know she dies. (laughs) She doesn't die as soon as you think she might... (laughs) <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you that. Spoiler but alert. I, she's going to die. Like, I don't know if you think she's going to die right away or before right away or after right away. <laughs> but she's a little, she's she's just wonderful. You know, she's we'll, wonderful. we'll see some twists. twists You'll see some twists yeah. because it's, it's Brian Fuller. And, um, well, Neil Gaiman has had, uh, you know, um, his eye on everything. And he's loved everything. So, um, so Brian has made his—I wouldn't say changes, but they're um, morph. He's morphed some of the uh, some of the storyline, um, and and all to Neil's uh, approval. Uh, actually, I think we have one of the things we have a new character that wasn't in the book that Neil was in on creating uh, to, to further tell the story. So there's, there's that to look forward to. Oh, so much. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. Please, please, please tell Brian, 
Ian, Neil, Ricky, tell everybody <laughs> that <laughs> we at Black Girl Nerds are super excited for this. We would love to have them on the podcast. As oh, well. yeah. So, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll send a note to Brian. Yes, please, 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 yeah. please do that. We yeah. would love to um, talk to them about about their work because we're we're super fans over here. Yeah. And well, everybody, we know what, when everybody sees it, they are all going to be super fans too. Yes. It's going to be really something. It'll be, it's a new thing. It's new because it's not word for word. It's not exactly the, the same. The timelines are a little bit different. And but, that's okay. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, because I think to... we all, sorry. No, go ahead. I think we all see something different. I mean, my version, what I think of Meriden Gods is, is different from what you think American Gods is, is different from what Brian Fuller and uh, and Michael Green thinks American Gods is. So is different from what Neil Gaiman thinks American Gods is. So we all have our version, and um, it's just going to be delightful to see uh, this new one. Yes, and you, you know you got you have to make a, some adjustments for television anyway. And of course, it's a different medium. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> Yay! All Yay. about that. <laughs> so, Janice, yeah. uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. Well, if I knew uh, that I could go with like two hours sleep, I'd do more Facebook. Right now, I I have I haven't I won't be starting my blog up until August or rather till April when American Gods starts airing, um, but. I'm on Twitter, um, even though right now it's all about Trump. I do manage to tweet a little, you know. <laughs> well, we're having a little bit of fun with it right now because Trudeau's there. So up in Canada, we're kind of having fun with them. Um, oh, that's right. Trudeau, Trudeau uh, and, uh, and how he's handling the shenanigans at the White House. So, but other than that, um, yeah, normally and a normally American Gods and Hannibal filled uh, timeline is now eighty percent uh, um, Trump. And your so, Twitter handle is oh, it's feeding Hannibal. It's, it's at feeding Hannibal. Janice Poon at feeding Hannibal. Yeah, at feeding Hannibal. Do you I have, have an Instagram say, account? I don't. Um, weirdly, I can't seem to get it together. I know it's so easy just to. You can you can link your tweets and Instagram so easily. I know that, but um, I know it's you know what you have to be ready to Instagram. I think I'm never ready to tweet. It just does. I just like it's like tripping and falling into a black hole. When I tweet, it's because I tripped and fell into uh, a black hole. It's not because I said well between the hours of eight and nine fifteen I'm going to tweet. It was like no, I'm never going to tweet. It's just something like I see something I go what. And with my rabbit brain, <laughs> what? I can't let that go. I have to tweet about that or not, you know, silly, but fun. Yeah, I'm just envisioning what your Instagram account could possibly look like. Just with all the pictures and the food, I can I can just see it now. <laughs> you know, it's terrible because I. one thing is I can see that I'm, I'm, um, I can see I have an addictive personality. I don't know what's wrong with me. 
but I like to just throw, like I really do like to get into things and I think I, I I'm not allowed to do any social media on my phone. That's my rule because otherwise good rule yeah. I, there would be no I would have no life. I would just like I'd be all it'd be all in all in my all up in my phone all day long. It would just I can't. And that is wrong. That's just wrong. So I have to say, only when you're at your desktop, that's when you can do social media. So like if my phone is like in another room or whatever, so any photos that I've taken, thinking I'll tweet this later, I never do. Like I was, you know, I just saw a magnificent uh, art exhibit. Like I'm going to tweet this thing. Like two and a half weeks later, Oh, what was that? Where? When was that thing? So I can't until I learn to discipline myself better, or find you know some way, like a Fitbit that that um, punishes me if I <laughs> if I'm on too long. Uh, until then, I will not be uh, Instagramming because um, because the phone is off limits for social media for me. So for now, it's. It's uh, Janice Poonat feeding Hannibal on Twitter. That's that's me. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> Janice, I had so much fun talking to you. I feel like we have oh, so much in common. Yeah, you must come over. Any, you must come over for a meal or five. <laughs> yes. Well. Yeah, we'll make, we'll make gumbo. <laughs> oh, oh my. Okay, I'm doing it. Okay, we're doing it okay. for real. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for asking me. It's been so much fun. All right. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, MR Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.